the protectors of the Wood Adventure Series. Episode number 161. The Last Day. Abby awoke to shadowy, gloomy light leaking in through the windows. A gusting wind made a rushing noise and shook the door and windows. She checked the time and was shocked to see that it was long past dawn, already 10 a.m. The church service and the dreaded voting would soon begin. The room was very chilly. She dressed in a flannel shirt and a hooded sweatshirt and a pair of jeans and sneakers. She drank a cup of hot tea. Around 10.30, she looked out the side window at the street and saw cars already double-parked in front of the church. A woman with a microphone was interviewing people next to a WBCS van while two photographers videoed the scene. The light was very strange, almost like the last glow before nightfall, or the last glow before the end of the world. I'm just not hungry, and I have no idea what today will bring. I feel lost. I have no plans except, except show up in church and see what happens. One more cup of tea and I'm out of here. And what are these bursts of wind shaking the doors and the windows? I've never felt anything like this before. And it's cold. I'm not used to this. I thought it would be hot forever. Abby stepped outside and a blustery burst of wind hit her like a blast from late November. Yesterday's bank of clouds had become a thick, somber blanket covering the sky. It smelled like rain. She expected anything and everything to happen that day, and so she put her wallet with all her cash in her pocket. Okay, here goes. Hands in pockets, out the front gate, a cold shoulder to these journalists. No, no, no. Not a chance of getting a word with me today. In the front door, slide into the crowd, and there's Dr. Bear. One ballot to a person, please. One ballot to a person. Return them here, or at the side door, or in the offering plate. We don't even say hello. Just nod to each other. Too much floating noise. Oh, and there's one of the hostile trustees. Laura somebody, handing out ballots. One ballot to a person. Please, take one. Hands here. Please fill it out carefully. Thank you, thank you. Whoa, the church is packed already. This is awful. Oh my god, no standing room. I can't even think straight. I gotta get through this mess. 
It's too claustrophobic. Gotta get down the left aisle to the side door. There's Fred Peterson. There's another hostile trustee, Betty somebody. Fred Peterson smiled at me. <sighs> at least one friendly face. Abby grabbed a pen and filled out her ballot as best she could in the crowd. The paper contained a list of rules, the names of the candidates with a box to check, and several lines for name, phone number, address, email address, place of employment, and length of time as a member of the congregation. At the bottom was a line for the voter's signature. She handed it back to Fred, and he took it without a word. He was overwhelmed. People kept pushing forward down the aisle, pushing the crowd right out in front of the first pew. Isn't there a maximum attendance for this church? This mob could start trampling people if they get panicked. I've never seen half of these people. Half? Most of them. This is getting scary. Abby backed up against the wall, with Fred Peterson on one side and the door on the other. There's Tom Winkle handing out ballots. It's a trusty thing to do, but I don't see Wilma Owens anywhere. Mr. Peterson, can you give us a few words about the election? No, no, I'm too busy. It's too crowded. Please, can't you see how hard this is? Just back up and give us some space. Please, just leave. Uh, good morning to all. Quiet, please, hear me. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming out in this uh, unusual weather. People continued to talk and mill around in a fruitless search for seats. Uh, since some of you may be unfamiliar with our church of today's election for trustee, I'll go over our simple rules one more time. We have placed marked uh, containers at both exits for completed ballots. Please fold yours in half and drop it off there or place it in the offering plate as it comes around. Uh, if anybody needs to leave early, feel free to drop off your vote on the way out. We have people at both exits to answer any questions. Due to the weather and the time needed for voting, our service today will be very brief. And once again, I have the honor to introduce Bishop Richard Beckett. The bishop, again in full formal attire with pointed hat and staff, walked across the stage and ascended the spiral stairs to the famous high pulpit made from the trunk of a beech tree. Standing at the top, about eight feet above the congregation, he radiated his unusual calming charisma. Many in the crowd standing at the back and in the aisles began to pay attention. People raised their cell phones to take pictures. The bishop looked over the throng without speaking. The crowd became silent, enthralled by the vision of the man in ancient costume, 
presiding over the congregation from the height of an ancient tree. We have all heard the famous scripture, judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. His eyes roamed over the audience, demanding attention. Perhaps you have wondered how anyone can live through a single day, much less a lifetime, without making judgments about everything, choices, values, actions, and most of all, other people or groups of people. You have also heard that we are all created equal before God. We come from and return to the great mystery. Yet human life goes on in ways that seem unequal and unfair. And the life of our souls before birth and after death seems no more substantial than a puff of wind. The congregation strained to hear. But whatever judgments we may make about our fellow humans, it is important to remember that the entire universe and everything in it lives through the blessing of God. Our judgments and points of view are very limited, temporary things. None of us can see from the point of view of God. So be humble and question yourselves. Be generous towards one another. Your judgments may look absolute to you, but they are not God's judgments. We are our own worst enemies. Remember, we are often mistaken and ungrateful, but God never is. The bishop bowed his head. Let us pray. Great mystery, beyond thought and the sight of our eyes, may we learn your plan for each one of us, and with your help, Bring good into this world all the days of our lives. Amen. After a silence, the bishop announced the offering and invited everyone to place their ballots in the trays that began to circulate around the church. Oh, I see. He's making the election a part of the church service. It's certainly a way to maintain order and help the voting process. But still, I'm afraid. The sheer number of people and the tension I feel in this room, it's scary. Abby scanned the church for friends and allies, but saw only Fred Peterson and Tom Winkle. Ellen and Kayla, Glenda and Tiny, even Phoebe and Jeremy were nowhere to be seen. Becky Scudder was very noticeable, wearing an elegant blue dress and saying hello to friends in the center aisle. The ballots filled tray after tray. The trustees hurried up and back to collect and secure all ballots by pouring them into large plastic bags. The quantity of ballots was astonishing. 
Tom Winkle closed the full and bulging bags by tying the ends and then carried them through a back door to what Abby assumed must be a conference room where they counted the votes. A cold wind swept through the church. Thunder rumbled again. The bishop announced the final hymn and the organ began to play, but people could barely hear the music. Frantic talk spread throughout the sanctuary. It hurts, I tell you. Wear a hat. Let me out of here. Or stay I gotta indoors. go. Oh. This is dangerous. Out of my way. I'm sticking around. Out of my way. I'm scared. I'm out of this joint. Get me out. Let me through. You can't even walk up this dangerous. Let me out of here. Abby, I've got this door. What? Abby was thinking. What does he mean? Don't even try it. The traffic's not moving. I'm staying. I want to find out who won this thing anyway. Abby felt someone grab her shoulder and jerked away. But in a flash, she saw it was Phoebe. Behind her were Sule and Nico. They formed a little wall around her, standing like bodyguards. They did not try to speak over the waves of sound, but just nodded to Abby with calm confidence. Tears came to her eyes. Thank you. Thank you. The trustees collected the last of the ballots and departed through a back staircase behind the sanctuary. The bishop had disappeared. Tuck looked anxiously at the congregation and then climbed the staircase to the high pulpit. Uh, please feel free to stay as long as you like. The, the storm will pass. Be calm. The trustees will be counting the votes, and we will announce the results when the trustees are confident that the process is complete. I will be here to offer any help I can. The crowd abandoned their seats and pressed for a view out the doors. Normally, the end of the worship service was followed by the departure of the congregation. But the voting and the weather had created a mob afraid or unwilling to leave. Reporters from television and the press were taking advantage of the situation to video the crowd, interview voters, and take hundreds of pictures. A stream of people were returning, complaining about the frozen traffic. Abby heard fantastic words, repeated like magic and revenge. Is it just my imagination? Or are people looking at me in a strange way? Yeah, people are staring. I've got to get out of here. Okay, that's enough. You'd better put a stop to this. There's only so much we can take. Is he talking to me? Do these crazy people think I'm causing this storm? Oh my god, where's Tuck? We're trapped! We're trapped! 
Don't even think about leaving. Abby saw the tall, thin form of Milton Morphy moving toward her through the crowd, followed by his short and round ally, Bob Bentley, still with his arm in a cast. They began to organize and inflame an ever-increasing flood of people pressing forward. People began glancing up at Abby and turning back to listen. Bentley gave her a long, steady glare, apparently inviting her to a staring contest. Abby pretended she didn't see him. She noticed Becky Scudder and her husband looking her way from the center aisle. They seemed to be paying more attention to the mom than to Abby herself. Becky said something and they hurried up toward the front exit. Meanwhile, Morphy pointed at Abby and shrieked. How long are we going to take this? Another decade or two? Another 50 years? How long before we put an end to this evil? The Connolly brothers were trailing behind. Mitch shook his head to his older brother Will, and they both backed out of the crowd, followed by a few of their following. Jerome Peabody saw them leave, and after another look at the crowd closing in on Abby and Phoebe, and a glance at Sule snapping pictures, he too disappeared through the dazed groups of people. Abby was thinking, Well, this is too much for them. This crowd is mostly strangers now. But... What do Phoebe and Jeremy have in mind? Sule, Shannon, and Nico maintained a wall between Abby and the crowd. Phoebe yelled in Abby's ear. I've got the door. Jeremy will hold it. Get ready. Phoebe opened the door a crack and yelled something to Jeremy. Abby eased her way to the door. A man shouted. Where is she going? A piercing yell came forth from the crowd. Stop her! She's going to Wendy! It's all Wendy's doing. Arrest her! Find out what she knows! There was a frozen moment of shock and astonishment as people stared. The heavy door opened and Phoebe slid out into the raging wind with Abby on her heels. Phoebe and Jeremy immediately slammed the door behind her. Go! Go! Jeremy was leaning against the door, but obviously could not hold it for long. Phoebe threw her weight into it. Abby ran to Tuck's side door and banged with her fist. Hurry up, please! Hurry up! Please, hurry up! Looking back, she saw the door begin to open. Phoebe and Jeremy were giving way, slipping on the icy ground. The enraged crowd spilled outside. Hail with a mix of rain blew relentlessly in their faces. Suddenly, Tuck opened his door and pulled Abby inside. Quick, lock it. Lock it. He turned the brass knob, 
and the bolt slid into place. He looked Abby in the eyes. Listen, I have word that Becky Scudder is winning the election by a large margin. Dr. Bear warned me that Laura Palmer is calling for an audit of church finances and possessions, including the treasures locked in our basement room. She has already demanded the key. Abby felt as if she'd been kicked in the stomach. She could hear banging on the door behind her. But don't worry. I knew this was a possibility, so I removed your briefcase and that other item, and I hid them in my office. You should take them now to your cottage or anywhere you like, but for your sake, get them out of here. Come! He pulled her by the arm up the stairs and into his office. In one corner behind a few boxes of books, he withdrew the mapstick and the briefcase and handed them to Abby. She took them and, without a word, ran down the stairs. The briefcase weighed far more than the mapstick. The banging had stopped. She listened carefully but could hear only Tuck's steps behind her. Tuck turned the knob and opened it. The ferocious storm had increased over the past few minutes and the crowd had retreated indoors, perhaps to find another way to the rooms behind the sanctuary. Nico, Sule, Phoebe, and Jeremy remained outside near the door, hugging the wall to protect themselves. They waved to Abby, and Nico gave her a thumbs up. Thank you, God, for people to protect me. Deep in the back of her mind, Abby had been anticipating this moment for a few days. She had a plan ready. Running to the tool shed, she grabbed a few pieces of twine and tied the briefcase to the rack over the back wheel of her bike. And then she used the twine to make a sling, holding the mapstick diagonally across her back. The real danger, she knew, would be the slippery surface of the street, but she had to risk that. Her first idea was to go through the wild area to the back door, but if a stalker was on duty there, she would be alone and helpless. The front gate would put her immediately on Bridge Avenue, where the traffic was not moving. No one would be able to follow her unless they too had a bike or were a long-distance sprinter. And so she rode to the front gate, wishing she had goggles. Jeremy met her and ran alongside. It was almost impossible to see. She raised her hood. Rain and hail began to soak her clothing, but she hardly felt it. Her adrenaline had given her all the courage and strength she needed. Her mind was clear. Phoebe, Suli, and Nico were standing like soldiers guarding the gate. Suli raised her camera. Go faster! Go faster! Go faster! Go! Go! Behind her, voices were shouting. It's her! There she is! There she is! Get her! Get her! Jeremy turned back to stand in the gate. 
Abby had the jump on her pursuers, but now worried about stalkers watching from the windows of the Middletown Standard. And so she dared to put on speed despite the icy surface and cycled down the sidewalk into the street. The wheels slipped on the melting hail and snow. It was almost impossible to control the bike. But if she went slow, someone could catch her. Even a tap on the brakes and I'll go into a skid. Please, powers that be, come and help me. How can I do this? Please help me. She risked putting on more speed until she was going faster than anyone could run in that weather. This... can it be? It's feeling so good. The faster I go, the better my balance. I feel like... I feel like I'm an inch off the ground and gliding through the air. Everything I try works. Weaving in and out of cars, blind choices, I feel like I'm flying. With no stray pedestrians, no suddenly moving cars, every choice is going my way. The bike is choosing the way. No one can catch me. At Main Street, a tow truck was making ready to haul a damaged car away from the intersection at Bridge Avenue. The nearby cars sat with engines idling. Abby raced through the stalled traffic and in seconds took a wide right turn onto Main Street. She felt sure the bike would spin out as she leaned far to the right at high speed. But her balance was perfect. The tires somehow never slipped. She put on more speed as she rode up Main Street, planning to enter the forest near Glenda's house. Without stopping or looking around, she flew along and turned left on Oak Knoll Lane. The wind and hail were tapering off. In a moment, she entered the forest on a path she knew well and stopped for a minute, looking back over the field. No one was there. This is my world now. I know every inch of this forest. But, but did that really happen? Am I dreaming? No way can I ride a bike like that in this weather. Oh, bike, you've come alive, made decisions. Am I going crazy? No, no, it's not just my imagination. The bike and I did it. Her attention came back to the moment. No one appeared to be following her. Nothing moved on the street. She untied the briefcase and stashed her bike in a thicket of mountain laurel. She took another look back and was horrified to see George jogging along Main Street and looking over the field. He stopped and examined the ground where Abby had turned off onto Oak Knoll Lane. 
He looked back and then quickly jogged on, continuing past Penny's house to the far side of the field. A car caught up with him, and the driver stopped and talked to him through an open window. Thoughts flashed through Abby's mind. Is he following me? What could he be doing? Completely unable to understand the situation or take time to think about it, Abby adjusted the mapstick across her shoulders, picked up the briefcase, and plunged deep into the forest. Sometimes I think a spirit's following me. I think she's made of something you can see. Wherever I'm going, she's going with me. I know there's something she's gonna give me. Sometimes I think a spirit's following. Sometimes I hear somebody call my name Sometimes I see a face at my window pane Someone I knew a long, long time ago Something I hear when the winter winds blow Sometimes I hear somebody call my name Sometimes it seems an angel's helping me Things work out I never thought could be When I'm not looking She's finding the way Showing a path on my darkest day Sometimes I think An angel's helping me Please help me, I'm dropping like a stone Living with pain and fear all alone Help my loved ones, I'm begging you now I try my best, but I don't know how I need your help, I'm dropping like a stone
I think a spirit's following me I think she's made of something you can see Something she's gonna give me Sometimes I think a spirit's following